0: These are the Target Files, discussing the novelizations and audiobooks of classic, and now also new series, Doctor Who Stories, looking through the eyes of adulthood at our childhood memories. After all, a great Time Lord once said, there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish some of the time.
1: Hello oh, and welcome to episode ninety-eight of the Doctor Who Target Files podcast. And this week we're doing the Twin Dilemma by Eric Selward. You know, sadness to announce this year that the sad passing of Terence Dix, someone who you know was very prolific in the Doctor Who world in the classic era, even responsible for bringing us the Master, I believe.
0: Yes, and a writer of over 50 Target novelisations, some of the scripts that he provided himself as script editor, and later on in the series, and adapting the scripts of other writers into book form. Uh, So much has been said already about Terence. I put a little Facebook picture up saying he was the king of Target novelisations.
1: It was even said that the Doctor Who magazine considered him to be the most prolific Doctor Who writer ever.
0: I would, I'd go along with that and you know I listened to a really good podcast Trial of a Time Lord uh, last night and they did their own tribute and they made the case that he's got a big part to play in Modern Who and that he sort of took over and rescued um, the last season of Patrick Troughton and then helped them through into colour with uh, the John Pertwee era and the whole unit family and that sort of set the template for Earth based adventures we have nowadays. Can I just tell a story about Terence a few years ago?
1: because you met him quite a few times,
0: didn't you? Only the once, uh, Aberystwyth, um, with a host of a podcast I used to be on uh, four years ago. And uh, my colleague there, uh, my co-presenter Greg, um, was very excited to meet Terence as um, he'd been the first writer that he could remember when he uh, was a young man. He was struggling to learn to read and he actually got to tell Terence that he learned to read the first target book he found in the library in Wales just by pointing at each uh, word with his finger and sort of spelling them out phonetically. And you could see Terence was really choked up by that. Much sadly missed. Thank you so much Terence, we've done a lot of your books already and we've got many more thankfully to uh, cover in the future.
1: Mike, The Twin Dilemma, a story that's considered by many to be the worst Doctor Who story of all time. The target novel of this.
0: We decided on the last show to pick another Eric Sayward novel Back from when the series was still on.
1: What, because I hated it so much?
0: Yeah, and I wasn't too much of a fan either, really. And just to see if his writing style was perhaps more suited for something back in the 80s. And as a teaser for my thoughts, I think it, it probably was, to be honest. Um, I did enjoy this one a lot more than The Resurrection of the Daleks. It
1: was. For me personally there was too much there was too as i said last time there was too big a gap between it's been originally written and then been rewritten this one was it's i'm assuming it would have been started the same year and then published in 85 wasn't it okay. so with having you know having been fresh in his memory this book was really good it had as i said to you earlier before we started recording it had smatterings of douglas adams the drink that they keep talking sounds like something that would mean served at the restaurant at the end of the universe. And the description uh, of the assassin team sounded like the Vogon Warrior, the Vogon Fleet.
0: For me, I think Eric Saywood at this time, he's got a very good descriptive use of language. And it's got elements of Terrence Dicks we've just talked about. And it's also got elements of Robert Holmes, who unfortunately, due to illness, only ever did the Two Doctors novelisation. But he's known as. Uh, one of the very top classic series writers from a story such as Towns of Weng Chiang. And I think Sayward has managed to sort of mix and match the best of those, certainly as the book was written within this era.
1: Go, going back to the televised version of this, this was so this was so badly received then, it's still not held in high regard now up it was it up until 2009 it was still voted the worst doctor who story of all time well i
0: was i think seven years old 84 when it was broadcast very strangely put on the end of the last peter davison season the last do what they do nowadays and what they mostly did in the classic series of starting afresh with a new doctor in a new series um and this was probably the key moment where i decided on a saturday afternoon no i want to watch the a-team instead
1: Didn't this actually sully your love of Doctor Who slightly when Colin came on?
0: Yeah, a lot to do with that key scene of, you know, post-regen trauma and uh, attempting to strangle Perry. And I think it did. And I slowly got back in towards the McCoy era with the darkness. I was almost a teenager by the time season 26, the final season was broadcast.
1: I never bothered going back to re-watching this. I remember how much I hated watching it the first time round, considering I like Colin Baker um, when I've seen him being interviewed, I know he's considered the least favourite Doctor of them all. But his reading of this was so much better than his acting on the show. The acting, actually, in the in every episode, was like someone that had never acted before in their life. Almost like a school production of Doctor Who. I don't know whether that was down to the producers or you know, they were having to rush these out. I know that Luke Grade's nephew, which I can never remember his name, Michael Grade, hated Doctor Who and wanted it off the off the screen by this point, so whether they were cutting their funding or whatever it was, but it was so badly done. And I thought, OK, well, it could be down to the writing, but after reading this, there's n- it, it wasn't down to the writing, it was down purely to the direction and the performance.
0: Do you know the gossip version of that? That uh, Colin Baker was married to the actress. Just- Lisa Goddard before and by this point when he was Doctor Who she was having an, an affair with Michael Grade so really that is yeah, sort of a gossipy rumour but you know I, I I wouldn't say it's the truth folks it's, it's a bit of a room what's the description that Eric Sayward says about his jacket he's got a good use of descriptive language in this one sort of like an explosion in a mm-hmm. clown factory or something
1: I've lost my train of thought now right train of thought coming back choo 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 <laughs> yeah the, the description of it the way that he interacts with Perry it's very engaging very entertaining as I said earlier there is a lot of smattering of Douglas Adams about this and in fact if you just read me snippets of this book I'd go oh, this is a Douglas Adams story actually more I was more interested in the language of this book than the actual story itself yeah
0: talking about if I can just stay on that scene as well it's over in a flash in the TV version isn't it yeah but he really delves into Perry's thought processes like the fingers are on her throat and you yeah. it really takes you in immersively doesn't it
1: um yeah, and how much she doesn't want to be there. She's gone from the fifth doctor, Peter Davidson, now to this crazy man that she doesn't she doesn't know, she doesn't recognize it recognizes, it? yeah, that's the right word. Um and she just doesn't want to be there, saying, you know, just drop me off in, in Brook was it Brooklyn? And I'll just get a train home yeah. Which is very subtly done. Whereas in the in the episodes it was it was just a train wreck.
0: Everything about those episodes, you know, from... Uh, they're often taking the mick out of... Due to having lisps, you know, Wombulus and Wemus. Yeah. They're really annoying uh, children, and Sayward actually manages to make them possibly even more annoying in the book at the beginning. It's got this very strange setting of being in an Edwardian house somewhere. I
1: mean, Romulus, and they're very
0: patronising to the father.
1: And Romulus and Remus are two names taken from Greek tragedy, if I remember didn't correctly. They,
0: didn't they build Rome?
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. So the man's got, you know, great knowledge of... He's, he's not just writing for the sake of writing. He has got, you know, very good knowledge of history and everything like that. I mean, one of the things that makes me laugh is very at the beginning where they're talking about wanting to kill your children. Well, you should just kill your children.
0: Yeah, they say it's sort of a interesting look at it, isn't it, when he's talking to a, to a psychiatrist, something we don't see in the TV version saying that he wants to... Uh, Experiencing infanticide,
1: Yeah.
0: And they've got the... I think the description is the psychiatrist just sort of lays back, rolls up a cigarette and says, yeah, everybody has that fantasy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to kill kill my son. Sometimes I wish I could lock him in a cabide.
0: Moves at a decent pace the novelisation, I think much better, because of the intric- intricacies of everything he explains within the plot. It moves at a lot better pace than... The, than than the TV version. Um I
1: listened to this in two sittings. It was it was that good and the only reason why it was in two and not in one sitting yeah. was because I had to do something else. Yeah. Um that's the only reason why I had to sort of cut it off. Do you think
0: Colin goes a bit over the top with Perry's accent at times?
1: I think any time you have a male male actor trying to do a female voice yeah. and especially a female voice in another another accent, it never comes off great but it was it was what it was um it w- it didn't slow the story down it didn't make me go oh, please shut up um i thought the use of music throughout the audiobook was very good yeah that that helped draw you in as well what about you
0: yeah for definite i think colin gives a very sort of bold performance you can say he builds up the tension nicely he really sort of gets into it further as it goes along
1: if you know what i mean i do um one thing i always like when we listen to these audiobooks is I like when they bring back original cast members to do the reading, whether it be the Doctor or the Assistant or even even the Daleks or anything like that. It seems to bring more to it than when they get someone from completely outside of the yeah. the Doctor Who doctor, <laughs> doctor Who universe. Other
0: characters within the I can't speak either. Yeah. Other characters within the book Azrael sort of Whitehead old man. Um,
1: Looking like Father Christmas.
0: Yeah, and we get him in this sort of, what would be seen as a bit of a dodgy scene now in the
1: uh, 80s period of the BBC. A whitehead man talking to two teenage boys. (laughs) Yeah, anything from the BBC in the 80s is touch and go these days. Uh, There again, anything from TV from the 80s seems to be touch and go. But I think it's Morris Denham who is a bit of
0: a classical BBC RSC trained actor. In the 80s, he's probably one of the better things about the whole pretty rancid TV version. But we also have, as well, uh, most recently seen playing Captain Mannerin in the remade Dodds Army episodes, uh, Kevin McNally. Dodds Uh, Army? Who's Dodds Army?
1: (laughs) Ken. (laughs) Yeah, Ken Dodds Army.
0: Uh, sorry, yeah, Kevin McAnally, um, looking a lot younger, obviously, 34 years ago. What did you think of that character, Hugo?
1: Hugo was an entertaining character. Um, most of the people in, in this episode were entertaining. This episode, this book, were entertaining. Um, whether Would I read it again? Probably not.
0: So what did you make of Mestor, the villain of the piece?
1: I didn't really pay that much attention to Mestor. I was just enjoying the book for what it was.
0: Yeah, he gives a it's, it's, very good description of him dying at the end and he says he crumples like cardboard.
1: I don't know about you, but you've been with, with a lot of these books that we we review. Sometimes I'm I'm listening to it because I'm really engaged by the story and other times I'm just listening to the language of the story and the way that it's written. And this in this in this time it was the latter. I was just I was just enjoying listening to Colin read these words.
0: Yeah, I like you say, I mean, the words really sort of fly off the page with Colin's performance as well. So I will say overall what I said a little bit earlier on, um, Eric Saywood has taken some of the best parts, um, styles of the best Terence Dicks, um, a little bit of Ian Martyr with the viscerality as well, and Robert Holmes, um, and produced a, a pretty memorable one. I did enjoy this a lot more than I expected to.
1: Yeah, me too. And I would, I would also I know I've said it before, a splash of Douglas Adams as well. For definite for definite so scores wise mate. Scores out of 10. This scores not based upon the writing or anything like this, but overall I would give it say a solid 7.5. Yeah. Because it's nothing I it was it's not a story I would go and revisit. Yeah. But it was also something, it was a good solid story. So for me, it's a good 7.5, maybe even an 8.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I sort of compartmentalise it into the different versions, TV version is awful. Two or three out of ten.
1: I, I might even, not even go that high, I might even give the TV version a one. Yeah. It's not even bothering opening the DVD case for... <laughs>
0: um, and I think the novelization. And the audiobook, probably seven point five, maybe going up to an eight.
1: Yeah, so pretty pretty so, much the same man. Yeah,
0: heck of a difference there. And um, so what do you feel the difference was between this, Eric Sayward coming back thirty years later, and writing what he did with Resurrection released the other month?
1: Um, with this I would say it would have been fresh in his mind when he wrote it. He may even still had the notes of when he wrote the actual telescript whereas with resurrection it was 30 odd years later the likelihood is he had no notes for it he just watched the episodes and going okay i'll just write i'll just write down what i see so i think it does make a big difference to uh, the time frame in which they actually got the books out
0: it's one of those occasions when you see something is of its time and it's even better for it you know and you have the tv version which is awful sorry to keep saying but this really elevates it I would recommend the audiobook I definitely would I would
1: recommend the audiobook over if any of our listeners have never seen it read the book or listen to the audiobook don't go and, and watch the episodes first because it will really it will really put you off I mean it's one of those things I you know when people go uh, who's the worst doctor I always feel that's kind of bad because all of the doctors have got the good and positive, like good points and bad, bad points, not good and positive, but those on the op- opposites. Um, and Colin had some really good points. I would have liked to have seen his, you know, the original idea of how the doctor would have looked, his doctor would have looked, was much more like Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. I think that would have made for a much more interesting doctor.
0: Do you think he sort of elevated, shall we say, or made the performance more bombastic, partly due to that? Outfit? What from,
1: what from looking ridiculous?
0: Yeah. Do you think it would have had less of an effect with the black jacket that he wanted?
1: Yeah, I think it. I think and it, all, it would have also pushed the doctors in a different direction. I mean, yeah. you know, Tom. Dot Tom. John Pertwee was very flamboyant uh, in the way he dressed. Yeah. Um, Tom was very eccentric. Peter Davison was very classically British. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like they'd run out of ideas when um, Colin had come good and gone, oh, we'll just make him look a little bit silly like Tom. Um, and that will work. And I'd like, well, no, actually, maybe you should have tried something different. It's one of the reasons why I like the fact that Jodie's now the Doctor. I know that's not popular, but hey.
0: I think this was definitely the stage at which John Nathan-Turner had first stayed on for too long. It happened again with Mackay. You know, there was too much elements of sort of stunt casting. You'd have sort of famous names coming in. It was almost panto style to Doctor Who because we know that JNT used to do pantos as well with stars from Doctor Who. You know, outside the outside his TV work.
1: As you said, he'd stayed well, he well past his sell by date. I like, I like now. What do you feel now about the showrunners? Do you think they stay on just the right amount, or just sometimes they go on too long?
0: I think Stephen Moffat did. Because I wanted to see Peter Capaldi. What I want to see is a Doctor crossover showrunners now. Yes. And that could have happened, you know, with Capaldi, I feel. Perhaps it wouldn't have been Chibnall. Perhaps it would have been somebody else. I just would like to have seen how they write the character differently. But it seems to be a template now that new showrunner will mean new Doctor.
1: Very true. Although, I will say this. Stephen Moffat's last season with Capaldi was probably one of the strongest out of the three seasons that he did.
0: I think it's one of the very best since the show came back. Yeah. But, you know, that was unexpected because Stephen wasn't expecting to do that series. The BBC were waiting for Chris Chibnall to finish with Broadchurch before he could take over. It's amazing to see he gave us that quality of Series 10 without necessarily planning for it in the first place.
1: Do you think RTD D stayed
0: the right amount of time? I could have given or taken the last year of specials because they were all pretty poor, apart from The Waters of Mars.
1: See, no, I didn't like that. No? No, there were, there were elements of it that I enjoyed. Yeah. But overall, it was like, it's, it's never been one that I've gone back and revisited. No? No. I
0: kind of like the first part of The End of Time, but it gets a bad rap for the, uh, the ending, the second part.
1: That, the one with the drums...
0: Yeah, it's uh, the Cardoma Cafe in Swansea Ah, here in the first episode. A beautiful scene with Bernard Bernard Cribbins. uh, Yes, a
1: place where we've sat in those very seats many times.
0: Yes. Okay, uh, we haven't discussed the cover of The Twin Dilemma. I have an original paperback here. Number 103 in the Target range. The Doctor Who Davison logo, uh, blue with a white trim. Very green, I will call it snot-coloured
1: cover. You described it as... The episode of The Young Ones called... It's not? Um, No, what? No, you're... uh, Oh, no. That is no listeners. (laughs) Not not Bambi. Uh, Sick. Sick, Sick. yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Mestor and the alien with a strange sort of blue, almost colon-shaped thing coming out as if uh, somebody's had something stuck up there.
1: And very famous cover because it doesn't contain the Doctor on it. Colin Baker demanded royalties because his face was on the cover and they wouldn't give it to him so they just took him off
0: So in other words, they, they, uh, Colin, they pulled him off
1: the yeah, cover Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he enjoyed being pulled off Yeah <laughs> Maybe not by Michael Grade. So Mike, what else have you been watching and listening to?
0: Do you know? I'm just completely forgetting at the moment. Um, I finally got—only paid eight pounds for it. Red Dead Redemption Two on the PS4, and really enjoying the uh, Rockstar Games effort from last year—the huge hit.
1: Why did you buy it for eight pounds?
0: I had to trade two games in in ah. CEX in Swansea, but they were a Call of Duty game that's over a year old and a rugby game that's over a year old. So I wasn't playing them much. Oh, fair enough.
1: Which Call of Duty game? can't remember. World War Two. Yes, yeah. Ah, fair enough. I can't guess.
0: remember and it just happens to be in the most famous battle in history. But
1: yeah, fair, fair enough. Um, so you've just been busy playing that. How are you enjoying it?
0: Really enjoying it, yeah. Um. Probably finding it better than the first one, which I absolutely loved back in 2011, 12, whenever it was released.
1: So basically we're, we're both playing a game that was big last year. Yeah. I'm playing I'm currently still playing Spider-Man. Oh okay. And you're, and you're playing Red Dead Redemption 2.
0: Yeah, we live in the past folks, but that's how we like it.
1: Yep, and we're both in our 40s so what do you expect? Exactly. What have you been watching anything exciting?
0: Um <laughs> That's my share folks. <laughs> no, um I haven't been watching that much to be honest. Um finished Parks and Rec on 7 seasons on Amazon Prime, so started with Community. Not as good as Parks and Rec I know the show is over 10 years old now I'm just about ambling through the first season I'm not rushing to watch it it's not one
1: where I get to the end
0: of one episode and I have to watch the next one
1: I only uh, watch Community within the last year and I've completely different for me I watch one episode and then just carry on watching like episode after episode I yeah. really binged it
0: it's mainly because I love Chevy Chase not seen him in much recently apart from an appalling appearance in London at the start of last year
1: ah yes, I remember that (laughs) Um, for me, apart from re-watching Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes on YouTube the only thing I've been doing is going on Twitter and looking at really weird people on some of their tweets
0: oh here he goes, here he goes
1: (laughs) what can I say I I found a tweet by someone yesterday (laughs) asking about how far he should put his hand up his bottom (laughs) sorry I was drinking tea at the time and it actually I made tea come out of my nose when I read that did it
0: come onto your timeline
1: no, was it, it linked to somebody else no just, just randomly going like searching for things <laughs> and it just it just came up and I just thought is Doctor Who related podcast related <laughs> that would be an interesting podcast
0: what a strange world we live in
1: yeah and the replies. should I put it all in? <laughs> and someone went, of course. Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, there, there is, I think there's certain questions in this world that yeah. you don't need to ask. One is, if you want to put your hand up your box <laughs> Phone that, You've got the other hand
0: free to phone the
1: ambulance. <laughs> I, I, I also think, that what happens if it got stuck? You'd be like, you'd have like a handle. <laughs> Toby Jack.
0: Yeah, a massive Toby Jack. Sorry, listeners.
1: Now, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, listeners, but I it was such a ridiculous thing to, to post on Twitter. I had to I had to mention it. I mean, if anyone wants to know who it is, just message us on the Facebook group and I'll let you know. Sorry. Why would they want to? <laughs> It's one of those things of going. That's not real. That's not real. Yes, no, yes. I mean, Billy Connolly said, "There's, you know, there's nothing funnier than real life." And after your reaction to that, it proves him right.
0: Sorry. Oh my word! What have you been watching, TV wise?
1: Um, TV wise, I started last night watching. <laughs> it's broken you is not it it really has broken you (laughs) is it the Toby Jug thing yes sorry Uh, on Netflix I started the Jack and Michael Whitehall series um, two people, I know a lot of people don't like Jack Whitehall. You are trying really hard not to laugh, aren't you?
0: I'm getting to the Muttley laugh stage, yeah. you know, is he? Or um, what's his name? Captain Chaos in yeah. Cannonball Run.
1: Yeah, I, I know a lot of people don't like Jack Whitehall. I find him quite entertaining. Not as entertaining as his father, though. So that was very good. It was like an idiot abroad. It's just them travelling around on a gap year. You know, a 76-year-old man on a gap year. It's very entertaining. But film-wise, I... I bought Avengers Endgame, I watched that again, that was very good. Funny enough though, going back to watching it, as a film, it's not amazing, but as wrapping up 11 years of the Marvel Universe is really good. What, wrapping up the Toby joke? <laughs> wrapping up
0: terrible, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, film-wise, film-wise... Uh, not seen much in the cinema recently. Um are you gonna see it? Chapter two or have you managed to track it down? Um,
1: I I was ve- I really liked the first it movie, but then when I saw that the second one was nearly three hours long, I just thought I cannot sit on my bottom. So <laughs> <Three laughs> oh, <hours. no>, sorry. <laughs> For nearly three and a half hours. <laughs> You've got to leave all of this in. I know. All I can say is, if the person that, that I whose Twitter feed I read this on, imagine if he was one of our listeners. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Would he be like, yes, it was me! It was me! With one hand, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> the, other, the other hand, he can't move. Oh, God. <laughs> Although I did see something on Facebook. Um, earlier which said now that Mar- Marvel and Sony no longer are uh, no longer working together with so- <laughs> Spider-Man film studio would you rather see do a Spider-Man movie? Turns out 84% of the people said Brazzers. Oh God. <coughs> Anything you're looking forward to? Um, I am looking forward to I wasn't but I'm looking forward to Terminator Dark Fate next month. I'm hoping that's Bring the franchise back on track after what is it? Three really bad movies.
0: They've been awful, haven't they?
1: Yeah. are <laughs> a fan of Terminator no, there's, Three? There's nothing redeeming. The only bit of that film that I found entertaining was the very end, not where it said credits, where you see all the bombs going off. I like that. I thought that visually looked very I good. I can't.
0: Don't think I can recall to my memory a f- single frame of that film. I've seen it maybe once.
1: You can't even remember the Elton John glasses bent No. Ah, uh, good. Don't remember that. Do <laughs> um, I didn't like Salvation. The only, the only entertaining bit about Salvation was the rant by Chris Bale off off camera, or what he thought was off camera, or off sound anyway. But the
0: Sarah Chronicle, Sarah Con- Sarah McConical, the Sarah Con- Chronicles TV show was very good. oh,
1: that was excellent. I mean, if they carried it on from that, this is amazing.
0: Lena Headey, of course, before Game of Thrones.
1: Yes, and before. Before her co-star in Game of Thrones ruined it. Amelia Clark in Genesis.
0: Oh, of course, yeah. Oh, wow. I actually watched her in a film about the nineties called Spike Island and she was quite good in that. Oh,
1: Amelia Clark?
0: Yeah. She was oh, playing sorry. like a teenager, but she was like obviously twenty four at the time. No, it's, it's set on it's set on the Spike Island gig you know, the time oh, about the, the time Stone, we were in Stone school. Okay. And it's like local yeah, it's like local kids to witness wherever it was in Cheshire. Break into the gig, and it's it's a really good film actually. It captures the 90s well. I didn't go to that gig,
1: no, I wish I had actually.
0: Yeah, but it's one of the very few films I've seen. Actually, there's not many films they made set in the 90s, really, isn't there? You know, as period pieces now, as we've gone on,
1: yeah, it's not
0: Captain Marvel,
1: yeah, and that wasn't really that much of a period piece.
0: Plus, this one's British and it's yeah. it's, it's it's a pretty
1: good watch. I
0: Jodie Whittaker has
1: a scene in it as well, one no, scene, right. yeah. I think, but some point we're going to get this slew of films set in the nineties. If you can think of any anything, you know, tweet us, Facebook us. But well, I've said to you many times, that I've
0: grown fed up of the stylised look of the eighties. I'm looking forward to Wonder Woman because that looks quite sort of well done from the stills and stuff. We've seen no footage yet.
1: No, which is surprising considering how long that film's been finished for. I know that they were holding off, which was strange considering. I think Christmas would have been the ideal time to release that Wonder Woman film. Yeah. All right, actually, no, that's not true. Star Wars is out. No, that's, that's another thing I'm looking forward to, Rise of Skywalker. I wasn't that fussed. But after seeing the D23 footage, yeah, I am pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too.
0: And the Mandalorian trailer, whenever we can damn well see it in the UK, of course. Yeah, not <laughs> till 2020, legally. But I was discussing this with a friend of ours, uh, Luke, no, Luke Summerfield. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Luke Summerfield. And um, we're wondering if sort of somebody like Sky Atlantic will just pay a lot of money for it first up and then it'll be on Disney Plus anyway.
1: I don't think so. I think Disney... You know, just for the UK, obviously, yeah. it will be on Disney in the States. Uh, I don't think so. I think Disney are going to keep that under wraps until they launch in the, in the UK in early 2020. Which just seems rubbish, doesn't it? Considering
0: yeah. what we get everything nowadays at the same time.
1: They must know that people are going to either watch it streamed online or they're going to download it illegally. Or they
0: sort of arrogantly thinking, oh, it's Star Wars, we'll still make a
1: fortune out of it anyway. Yeah, which I think the Star Wars franchise, unless you know, unless J.J. J. Abrams really pulls it back, or the Mandalorian... <laughs> it's going the way of Terminator and the alien franchise of going yeah you're just wringing too much money out of this now or trying to ring too much money out of it rather anywho
0: shall we uh, think about what we're going to discuss next time we've done the sixth doctor shall we move in order to uh, Mr. McCoy the seventh
1: yes let's have a McCoy yeah which one
0: I uh, like the beef and onion flavour yeah that's, that's right then <laughs> Um, I think Dragonfire is out at some point. That's a pretty interesting one. Yeah, we'll do that one that. It's the debut story for Ace. And she returned in a specially made trailer for the uh,
1: final classic season box set, which is out in December. Oh, the one that when you told me about it, I was like, I'm not buying that on Blu-ray. It's going to be terrible. And then I saw the trailer for it going, I am by, and I pre-ordered that then. And I actually messaged you to apologise going, no, I changed my mind.
0: And Colin's final season... Trial of the Time Lord is out in just a few weeks. Blu-ray? Yeah. Oh, <clears throat>
1: Are you going to buy that? I think so. Yeah.
0: It's important to get them early now, though, because uh, they're, they're always being brought out as limited editions. And then hugely going up in price on eBay. I've even seen uh, the Tom Baker first season, Series 12, available for £900.
1: Would you pay £900 for it on Blu-ray?
0: No, but someone probably would. That's the stupid thing
1: the thing with these limited editions they always bring say they're limited and then about a year's time they bring them out again anyway very true so I'm probably just going to wait we'll wrap things up for today and
0: uh, I shall go and cleanse my mind of Toby Juggs
1: yes remember (laughs) there's certain questions you don't need to ask bye 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 bye
0: Doctor Who Target Files was hosted by Lee Farncombe and Michael Winks 13th Doctor theme cover by Borna Matosic. Please do check out YouTube channel B O R N A M A T O S I C. You can contact Doctor Who Target Files on Twitter at dwtargetfileshandle or Instagram at Doctor Who The Target, or leave a message on our Facebook page Doctor Who The Target Files. Please do rate and review us on iTunes, and thank you so much for listening.